Hi, I'm Anna Soper. I'm a librarian from Kingston, Ontario, Canada. Welcome to Teen People, the podcast where I interview people from Teen People magazine. This week, I talk with Patrick Maroney, a writer and marketing professional from upstate New York. Patrick's career began after he moved to Philadelphia as a teenager. There, he wrote for the Bucks County Courier-Times reality section, written by local teens. This led to an opportunity as a Teen People trend spotter, as well as an internship in New York at Teen People's headquarters. Twenty years later, Patrick has published an unauthorized behind-the-scenes tale of the making of the Scream franchise, and is now preparing another book on the Saw series from the early mid-2000s. He began by telling me about Teen People's unsuccessful attempt to get George W. Bush and Al Gore together on stage in what would have been a Teen People-sponsored televised debate on youth issues during election 2000. Could that debate have changed the course of history? Probably not, but we'll never know, will we? Here's Patrick's story. At the time, I was actually writing for the local newspaper in uh, Bucks County, the Bucks County Career Times. They had a section written by teenagers, by high school students called Reality. So I was already kind of moving towards that track. And it was actually through one of the other panelists on Reality that I got involved in the trend spotters. It was in 2000. They were gearing up for the big election and they were doing an event at King of Prussia Mall, a town hall. Good Charlotte, I think before their first single even came out, was there. And I think I was like the only guy that was that showed up. Um, So like I got interviewed by like CNN for it. And I dread to see if that tape ever still exists, because, you know, at 17, we think we know everything and are so intelligent. Um, so from there, actually, um, I met Janice Gaudelli, who is the head of the Trend Spotters, and Denise Keegan, uh, now Denise Goldfield, who was the head of the public relations department. And it was through doing that that they actually invited me and another girl named Jen Modis. I think I think that was her last name. Down to Washington D.C to talk to they were trying to set up a debate between al gore and george bush and george bush's george w bush's campaign was a little hesitant so they were gonna it was um annie zarin the publisher christina ferrari denise jen and i were going to go down um originally we had a meeting with bush's team and then it became a Maybe we would, maybe we wouldn't. And they had a luncheon down there anyway. So Christina and Annie went to the luncheon um, at this hotel. And then Denise, um, I feel bad because she basically got stuck babysitting us. But I mean, it was great. It was a lun- It was the first time I'd been in DC. I forget what hotel it was at. There was a luncheon that President Clinton was at. I actually went to go to the bathroom right as he was leaving. So I kind of like walked right into the Secret Service uh, uh, trying to find the bathroom. But we ended up not having the meeting. Um, So instead, we did a driving tour of D.C. And I have pictures of 
the five of us at the, the, I think the only place we got out was the Lincoln Memorial. Al Gore was uh, fully on board from what I remember. And it was really just trying to convince George W. Bush's team. And they were going to do the debate out in Los Angeles. And if Bush's team had agreed to it, they would have flown Jen and I out for that also. So, I mean, I was really hoping that we could talk him into it. Uh, <laughs> um, but alas, it, we, ne- we didn't end up getting to meet with them that day and it never happened. Well, in the end, he didn't need teen people's help after all, eh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe if Al Gore had won, he would have been like, damn, why didn't we do the teen people debate? Yeah, if only we had done that teen people debate. <laughs> All we needed was teen people on our side. Exactly. Yeah. Why so, do you think, in your own opinion, why do you think George W. Bush and his team did not want to be involved in that debate? I think that there was probably a little bit of a fear of the younger voters for George W. Bush in 2000. Stereotypically, younger people are considered more liberal and probably more left-leaning. So I think it was probably one of those things that they were doing a cost-risk aversion of what will we gain versus what could we lose. So I think in the end, it was probably they were afraid that it could hurt him more than it would help him. And Teen People was a new brand at that point. I mean, the People brand has existed for decades, but Teen People had only been publishing for two years. So maybe there was a sort of um, unknown quantity or quality with Teen People that they they were fearful of. I think it's interesting that you use the word fear because now I think we have this perspective where any and all publicity is good publicity and moments that go viral for a politician can actually help them no matter how ridiculous they look. And I think if it had happened nowadays, I think that his team would have almost thrown him on the stage if they had to, because the younger voters are, are doing so much now to sway the votes um, and getting out the votes that any politician worth their salt needs to talk to them needs to be where they are. So I think it would have been, you know, a no brainer for them nowadays to do it. And I believe that they already had like the WB lined up to like air it or something like it was going to be on TV. So it was, it was going to be like a big deal, but I think again, it was just because it was also, you know, 2000, you know, I think it was, that was also, I think the, for for like our generation, my generation. Um, I, sorry, I, I don't want to. I don't want to guess your age, but uh, I just always assume everyone's my age. Uh, <laughs> um, but like for millennials, and especially the older millennials, like we, I feel like teen people really came up as we did. You know, we were in high school, and it was showing how much like. At the time, like we were really considered the generation that was going to like go out and change the world, and you know we're, we're go getters and everything. And I think teen people really highlighted and spot spotlighted us in a positive manner, whereas most other forms of media 
still weren't taking us seriously. So I think that was something that was smart of them and why team people hold a special place for millennials, especially probably older millennials more than younger ones. I think you're correct there. There was a lot of hope placed on our shoulders. Mm -hmm. And then it turned out that generationally we had to cope with 9-11 and the global war on terror that followed. And then the financial collapse in 2008 and now climate change and of course the pandemic. And so I don't know if our generation is going to play out those, those hopes that were placed on our shoulders. I think actually when I hear how people are talking culturally about Gen Z, I think actually they're the ones that are going to come and do the work that we were supposed to do. And I think we started the work, but I think with everything, like I hear some of my friends are like, can we just go one day without a once in a lifetime event happening? Like, um, you know, I, I think millennials get a bad rap, you know, because everyone talks about the participation trophies. But I think in the beginning, we really were, you know, ambitious and I, but I think there's probably a lot of burnout, which is why I think, especially with our generation, we're talking so much about mental health. And so I think we probably started, but I think the next generation is going to hopefully pick it up, like you said, and, and finish and take it further than we, especially something like climate change. You know, I think they're really going to you know, be the ones that are going to help solve that type of situation for us, hopefully. And I think in a way, millennials have kind of been guinea pigs. Like with the internet, we were the first generation that really, you know, was getting in there with, you know, social media and using the internet, you know, when we were in high school, middle school, you know, so, and like student loan, I think our generation, I mean, Gen X had it, but I think our whole generation has been dealing with it. And I think now as Gen Z, Gen Z is coming along, you know, I think it's people have kind of started to take notice and are trying to do things. So I think there, there were, we were kind of tested on and they're now trying to fix things for that next generation. Um, that maybe the beginning of the generation, since they're now in college already, it won't necessarily be completely fixed, but I think they're trying to make inroads for them. Mm. Yeah. So we're test subjects. Yeah. We've been working out the bugs for them. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> to carry on the Y2K metaphor. Yes. After that, unfortunate, you know, I'm, I'm thinking like what, what could have been, I would have loved to have seen George W. Bush in a debate with Al Gore sponsored by teen people on the WB. That would have been amazing. Yeah. So in the wake of that disappointing, um, but probably quite interesting trip to Washington, you then ended up being an intern in teen people's PR department in the early 2000s. Tell me a bit mm -hmm. about how that came about and what you did there. So I, I kept in touch with Denise and we would email every so often and I would go up for she be, with um, the trend spotters. We would get invited to my friend Marin and I to like the what's next concerts. And they did a WB special hosted by Mandy Moore. I forget what year, when, whenever a walk to remember came out, she hosted a, a special with 
a bunch of the what's next people from that year. It was like Craig David, Blue Cantrell. And then one day Denise just said, so when are you going to come work for me? And I was just like, when do you want me to? Like, I believe that was like the summer of 2001. We were planning for spring 20, uh, 2002 and then 9-11 happened and everything got put on hold, but they got permission for to have summer interns again in 2002. Uh, so I was an intern for the PR department at Team People for that summer. And then um, for a little bit after that, I would help out on a freelance basis. Denise and Amy Galeazzi and Catherine Sol Soltis were the three in the PR department. They had me doing press releases, um, radio bites. Um, my, my favorite part was because I would commute in. So I would get in, I think, at like 7 30, 8 o'clock. And every morning I had to go through the newspapers if there were any mentions of teen people or any of the celebrities. So um, Time Inc. had a great cafeteria. So I would like stop there on my way up, get breakfast. And then I would just read the, there was like five or six papers I would have to comb through. And that would be like my first hour. Like I came in extra early so that I could get that out of the way and like read the newspaper while eating breakfast and like ease into my day. And then I would have the articles on Denise's desk um, for when she came in. They also knew that I was an intern. So like if Zena was having an event in the conference room, like I could go to that. Or during the summer, they had a, I think every other week, they had like a company-wide intern luncheon um, with the different brands. So it really opened me up to a lot of different things. And I got to try a lot of pretty much anything that a, a new like public relations coordinator would do like I was I was basically doing that in my summer internship and I was only a sophomore in college so they really trusted me a lot. Did you have any cool celebrity encounters that summer? I had a, I had a couple uh, aside from President Clinton. There was uh, David Gallagher of Seventh Heaven was doing something with Xena. My sister was in love with Seventh Heaven so I ended up he left his name badge in the elevator bank. So I like stole it for my sister. I don't even, she probably still has it somewhere. Uh, and it was actually, it was also right around that time that they were starting Purple Leopard Records. Uh, team people had their own record label. So the boy band element was in the office all the time. You just see them like walking down the hallway, like they were your coworkers. Um, which was kind of fun. <laughs> You're like, oh, hey. And then like you turn on the TV and it's like their music video. At the What's Next special with Mandy Moore, I went up to get a picture from her. We were like hugging and her publicist ripped her away out of my arms. I will forever be bitter to that man. But <laughs> <laughs> You just made a sort of a yearning, a yearning expression with your hands. She's gone. She's gone. I yeah. once knew true love. I did. You know what? It was, it was true. It was real. It's, it's weird because it's like engraved in my brain. You would think that I was like traumatized from this like 20 second encounter. It's not 
technically team people related, but Denise, when I was working out there, she took me to a movie screening of Robin Williams's uh, one hour photo and the eighties pop singer, Debbie Gibson was there. And uh, I got into a little kerfuffle with her and she's now my mortal enemy, but. (laughs) Oh, wow. You crossed an eighties pop legend. So what happened was I went up to her after, cause like I told Denise, I'm like, when am I ever going to see Debbie Gibson again? Like I need to go say hi. She was my first concert. Like, you know, so I went up and I just like asked for her autograph. And um, I think because I said my first concert, you were my first concert in kindergarten. And here I was at 20, like standing in front of her. She kind of like gave me like a death stare. And I called her Debbie and she corrected me. She said, it's Deborah. I was like, okay, hold up. So then I got kind of nasty back to her and she was like, what's your name? And so I'm like, it's Patrick, it's spelled. And she started writing like, no, no, it's spelled P-A-D-R-A-I-C. So like we were going like tit for tat on the street corner after this movie about a stalker. So it was totally you know normal everyday life things um but (laughs) yeah so you know it's now I'm a Tiffany fan till I die because (laughs) Debbie and I are immortal enemies (laughs) as she's hate writing you an autograph and the thing is like I went into the office next day I'm like look at me I was such a goober I'm like showing it to everyone um and you know like under my breath cursing Debbie Gibson's name uh But I, I do have it somewhere still. I, I have to find it again because I just I have boxes everywhere from like moving in the last like two years. So but I, I know I do have it somewhere. So tell me about your book. Um, I gather it's just come out and you're promoting it right now. I am. I have it right here. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So basically, you know, again, Scream came out in 96. So like the uh, this year is the 25th anniversary. And again, you know, it started the whole teen genre, you know, that kickstarted, you know, and, and that was, I think the other thing with, with, you know, millennials also is there was like a downward spiral, not, not a downward spiral, but there was like a valley for a little while where there, where we really weren't being catered. I don't want to say catered to, cause it makes us sound like we're hoity toity, but like they weren't, targeting us for things and then it seemed like all at once you know you had teen people come out and then you had the other teen magazines scream came out and then you had the other horror movies and then you had and clueless came out before it but you had also you know then she's all that and you know save the last dance so it was like and then with the cw the wb you had dawson's creek and gilmore girl you know so it was like this crazy little like vacuum and it's funny because uh i graduated high school in 2000 so so we were also impacted by columbine i remember i tried to do an interview with monica potter for the movie along came a spider for the local paper and they're like oh that's r-rated we can't we can't have a teen interview for it even though like up until then I'd been reviewing horror movies and everything. Like there was no, I was getting snuck into parties for Bridget Jones's diary, but there was a point in time where it was like, suddenly 
pump the brakes a little bit because it was again like what what are we showing to these kids and what's going on i want to begin by saying that hillary and i are profoundly shocked and saddened by the tragedy today in littleton where two students opened fire on their classmates before apparently turning their guns on themselves i have spoken with governor bill owens and County Commission Chair Patricia Holloway and expressed my profound concern for the people of Littleton. I have spoken to Deputy Attorney General Eric Holder and who, along with Attorney General Reno, is closely monitoring the situation. A crisis response team is ready now to travel to Colorado and I strongly believe that we should do whatever we can to get enough counselors to the families and the children uh, as quickly as possible. I know the other communities that have been through this are also ready to do whatever they can to help. I think that uh, Patricia Holloway would not mind if I said that amidst all the turmoil and grief uh, that uh, she and others are experiencing, she said to me uh, just a moment ago that perhaps now America would wake up to the dimensions of this challenge if it could happen in a place like Littleton and we could prevent anything like this from happening again. We pray that she is right. We don't know yet all the hows or whys of this tragedy. Perhaps we may never fully understand it. St. Paul reminds us that we all see things in this life through a glass darkly that we only partly understand what is happening. We do know that we must do more to reach out to our children and teach them to express their anger and to resolve their conflicts with words, not weapons. And we do know we have to do more to recognize the early warning signs that are sent before children act violently. To the families who have lost their loved ones, to the parents who have lost their beloved children, to the wounded children and their families, to the people of the community of Littleton. I can only say tonight that the prayers of the American people are with you. Thank you very much. Mr. President, what I'd like to get this letter down last fall. Is there anything additional that you can say or that the federal government can do to prevent things like this from happening? We came home from school that day, we turned on the TV, and we all just remember, we can still remember watching the news from that day. Like, and I, I actually mentioned it in the book that because it impacted screen three, they they actually had to change, they didn't want to make another movie about teenagers killing each other right after a mass shooting like that. So they changed it so it was about Hollywood. But it was like the first time that we really were watching something live. We were seeing kids dangling out windows and we were like, what is going on? So I, I think it was one of those things that a lot of people kind of remember where they were when they heard about that. Getting back to your question. Uh, sorry, I went off on a huge tangent. But um, with that, I think our generation has really clung on to things more. Like the screen movies you see popping up in Riverdale, they're doing homages to it. You know, there's still another movie coming out. 
So I think there's a lot of things that we are still clinging to. And um, so I kind of decided, and surprisingly there's not, there haven't been any books written about the movies. With the pandemic, I decided that I needed a project. The 25th anniversary was coming. So I reached out, I ended up speaking to 30 of the cast and crew members um, from the movies to get the story behind the movies. Everyone knows what's on the screen, but they don't necessarily know that there were script leaks, that there were lawsuits, that there were, like I was saying, with the third movie having to be changed because of um, Columbine. So I spoke to as many people as I could to get the inside story about uh, what it took to make these movies from the people who were there. So uh, everyone was super generous with their time. Everyone was happy to talk. People sent me photos to include in the book. I spoke to the owner of the restaurant that they all went to when they were filming the first movie. Um, it's still there in Santa Rosa. A lot of people also don't know that with the first movie, there was a big a big fight with the school board in Santa Rosa. They were going to film at the high school and then the school board, they agreed without reading the script. And then they were like, wait, can we see the script? And then we're like, what? <laughs> You're going to do what in our school? And it became like a national headline about censorship, even though there weren't going to be any murders or anything filmed in the school. The school board really didn't want them to do it there. And so that wasn't legal ground. So they actually had to, so they use the, it'll be too disruptive to the students, even though they wouldn't be filming in the school during it, but it was like kind of a loophole. And I think everyone kind of knows it. Are you planning another book? Uh, actually, the day that this book was released, my publisher emailed me and asked if I would be interested in writing a book about the Saw movies. So I'm in the very early stages. I just bought the DVDs to all of them. And I, I because Scream, Scream has like the comedy to it and they're not super, super gory. You can kind of watch them one right after another. I feel like with Saw, you kind of have to watch one, go do something else for a little bit, come back. So during the pandemic, I also took up drumming. So it's kind of like watch a Saw movie, go play some drums, go watch a Saw movie, take a nap, play drums, watch a Saw movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cleanse the palate a little bit. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Because what I do is I'll watch the movies, I'll take notes, I'll then watch it again with the audio commentaries on. And so I have all these notes from the screen movies. Now I have all these notes compiling for the Saw movies. I'm like, if the FBI ever like raids my apartment, they're just going to find this like notebook of murder and be like, send him to Guantanamo, like get him out of here. Like there's something wrong with this guy. <laughs> so I'm fearful of that day. <laughs> um, I'm going to wrap up with the question that I ask all of my guests, which is what advice would you give your teenage self today? This is a tough one, but as I've started to get older, I've started thinking about it more. And some of your previous guests have talked about this. Um, I forget it was, I forget her name, the other author that you have. Is it Kelly? Kelly McWilliams. 
Yeah, she was talking about about like prodigies, and I, I'm in no way calling myself a prodigy at all. At a young age, I did start writing professionally, and then doing everything with team people, and I kind of had like what my life was supposed to be like planned out, and it was like, and I was like a mini adult kind of very early. So not that I didn't have fun, but I think I would tell myself to kind of savor the present more and not be planning the future as much. I mean, back then I was planning to go into journalism and I actually interviewed at Us Weekly right as I was getting ready to graduate. But I found out that journalism wasn't what I wanted to stay in. I'm actually in marketing as my full-time job. What I was planning back then isn't how my life turned out. And, and you hear this a lot with people talking about college. You know, we go to college and we have to pick a major at 18 for what we're going to do with the rest of our lives. And I think we need to allow ourselves that grace of, well, this may not be my forever career or, you know, I'm going to take a step back and I'm just going to enjoy what I'm doing now. I'm not going to plan out everything. I'm actually considering writing like a, memoir and it's going to be titled I was a 21 year old husband so because I did all this stuff before I was 21 and then it went downhill (laughs) you know and I I became a normal person again so I had all these adventures and everything so like walking through the doors at the Time Inc building they had like the big magazine blow-ups and everything on the walls I think Zena talked about this a little bit, but it just, it was such a fun environment. There was never a day where you're like, oh, I don't want to go into the office. Like it just, like I would walk in and it would still be like, wow, I get to work here. I've now worked at three different places in my career and the places I've left, there's maybe like one or two people that I still keep in contact with. And for them to have like this giant network still of, all the people that they worked with at this magazine, I think shows how special it was for them also, like the people who actually went there every day, you know, and they talk so fondly of it, uh, you know, 15 years later, 20 years from when they were actually working there, some of them. And I think it showed in the pages how much they all enjoyed it, you know, because they put their heart into it, Mm. whether it was advertising or marketing or the editorial, you know, I think it was really obvious that they, that they really cared about what they were doing. Mm. I went in one time to meet Janice and, um, and uh, Denise for lunch. And it was like, right when Avril Lavigne first came out and like people were wearing the like tank tops with the ties that like Avril was wearing. Mm -hmm. Um, so it was like, yeah, it was definitely youthful energy. Uh, Janice had like Blink-182 posters on like her walls and everything. Like it was the same kind of posters that I had on my bedroom walls, like of bands and stuff mm-hmm. she had on her office. And Zena too, <laughs> like Zena had posters and stuff. So yeah, so there was a, a lot of great energy. Mm-hmm. Avril's actually from the next town over. Oh, is she? From me, yeah. <laughs> so did, she's, did you guys? No, no, I never, uh, I've never met her actually. Although my driving instructor had the opportunity to teach her how to drive. 
Then she ended up going not to Kingston, but to Belleville. Napanee is between Belleville and Kingston. And so she ended up going to Belleville. And so my driving instructor never got to teach her how to drive. He was really bitter about that. I mentioned her name once and it brought up just like you with Debbie Gibson. It brought up this whole thing for him about Avril and how the the driving instructor in Belleville got to teach her how to drive, not him. (laughs) Me and uh, your driving instructor will start a support group for people that have been spurned by pop stars. Oh, yes. Yes. I see it. find Patrick's book It All Began with a Scream online and follow him on Twitter at Patrick Jacob P-A-D-R-A-I-C J-A-C-O-B Patrick mentioned the young and fun working environment at Teen People's Manhattan offices so if you want to hear more about that have a listen to my interview with Zena Burns Teen People's Entertainment Director that's available in season one of Teen People Podcast here's a snippet there was a feature that was very close to my heart every year. It was Artist of the Year. We would close the year with between five to eight artists that we really thought defined the year. In most cases, we would photograph them. But then we would generally not do an interview with the artist. We would do an interview with someone about the artist. We had Elton John talking about the killers and <laughs> you know things like that. That was a fun one because my phone rang. Normally it's a publicist who's putting you through, right? So my phone rings from a 702 Vegas number and I assume it's the publicist. I'm like, hi, it's Zena. Hey, it's Elton. And I, in my mind, thought that it was, I have Elton for Zena. And I was like, okay. And I was silent and maybe 30 seconds later, he's like, so do you want to talk or not? And I was like, oh, oh, it's Elton. It's Elton. <laughs> If you liked this episode, please leave a review on your favorite podcast app and tell all your friends. Find me on Twitter and Instagram at Teen People Pod. I'll be back next week with another episode of Teen People Podcast. Until then, I'm Anna Soper. Hold up. 